The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey everybody, how's it going? This is another Black Insider Bengals podcast. I am Anthony Cazenza. I'll be joined by my usual co-host Scott Schulte in just a few minutes at least we hope so he's uh he's dealing with some 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 uh juggling some family calendar issues but he should be he should be joining us soon and uh, since this program has been on the air I, we took last week off and it was kind of a necessary week and in, in terms of both the Bengals not really doing all that much really doing all that much and then you know personally speaking i kind of need to do the same but the the program is back and it's coinciding with of camps and obviously we want to talk about what the bang what the sights and sounds of the Bengals are some off season and all that kind of stuff but we also want to get a grasp on what is happening around the the AFC North because usually. These the teams that win the AFC North usually go far. Bengals excluded, obviously, but usually you win the AFC North, you go pretty far, and or you win the Super Bowl, um, and that's that's been in, indicative of what the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens have been able to do. And covering the latter team, I mentioned the Baltimore Ravens is Logan Levy. Is it Levy or Levi? Levy, right? Le- Levy, yeah. Okay, uh, with Baltimore beatdown uh, with SB Nation, and he's going to talk to us a little bit. Give us some up and talk to us about a lot of stuff. I mean, obviously, there's there's uh, there's been for Bengals fans and everything. There's there's been some coinciding interests um, going over there, and I guess that's where we'll start, Logan. Uh, you know, the last couple of years, the if to the playoffs, but haven't gotten there. Obviously, the Bengals knocked them out of contention in the final week last year. Got got to got to give you that little got to give you that little thorn. They were there. I mean, essentially, they were nine and six. I think going into that game, and uh, they were there. Joe Flacco had run back in what was it, twenty twelve to get to the to, to get to the Super Bowl and through the Super Bowl, but his regular season stats. For the most part, lackluster. The Ravens then bring in Lamar Jackson, 
at the end of the first round here, obviously a lot of from I saw I before I brought you on here, I saw some stuff about I saw a headline on Baltimore beatdown about, you know, Lamar Jackson saying I'm not gonna agree. There was the stuff with when after Jackson was drafted that Flacco didn't really endear himself to Jackson. So back situation, how both guys are looking, the future outlook, what what's going uh, what's going on there for 2018? Yeah, so thanks for having me. First off, it's actually an interesting situation. I'm glad you talked about Joe Flacco and that Super Bowl run and what he did in the playoffs. But the thing that I try to tell most Ravens fans and pretty much everybody that I come into contact with when talking about the Ravens is Joe Flacco has never been a top five quarterback. He's never been a top 10 quarterback, in my opinion. He's a guy who's pretty much been the same his entire career. He's, had, he's been choppy in the regular season. That's for one reason or the other. In the postseason, the guy turns it on. I mean, two back-to-back years in 2012 and 2013, he outplayed uh, Tom Brady in the AFC Championship game. If it wasn't for Lee Evans and Billy Cundiff, the Ravens might have won the Super Bowl the year before. But obviously, Billy Cundiff shanked that kick. They didn't go into overtime, and Lee Evans wasn't able to catch it. So here we are. In terms of this year, so Joe Flacco's contract, as everyone knows, is crazy. But just like for the outsider looking in, I think that there's a little bit more to it than you have to understand. So we, if we flash, flash back to right when the Ravens won the Super Bowl, Joe Flacco, he bet on himself, and it was successful because he won the Super Bowl MVP. He had all this other stuff. But the contract itself was bad. Don't get me wrong. It was horribly structured. It was backloaded. And they designed it so it would be in three to four years they would extend him and make it less. The problem is, is when the team was in the state that they were in after 2015 and then they extended him again, that extension, what it did is actually prolonged, obviously, Joe Flacco's time in Baltimore. But it really hurt the cap much more because now you have more cap hits that are more money and it's hurting the team. So Joe Flacco this year is on the hot seat. The Ravens brought in Lamar Jackson. They were pretty aggressive to get him in the draft. They traded couple of picks. I mean, it was relatively cheap in terms of getting a quarterback, but they traded a lot of, they traded some picks to get him. So they traded that second rounder. They traded the 2019 second rounder, then a fourth rounder just to get uh, move up to 32 to get him. But Lamar Jackson's a great in camp from what we've seen, what we've heard. Um, the biggest thing with him is getting to understand the playbook and getting to understand to call your own plays with any quarterback. I know he had that advanced system with Bobby Petrino at Louisville, but it's still a little bit far off from going into the NFL. So I would personally, I would like to see Lamar Jackson sit his entire first year and then have the Ravens cut Joe Flacco post June one next year, save some money. I think it's eight. If they cut him post June one next year, it's 18 and a half million saved for 2019. And then the $8 million is split between 2019, 2020. So it's 8 million each year in dead cap, which really isn't that bad for a quarterback that you're paying all this money to. And his contract was really bad. So really that's a good way to get out of it. But Lamar Jackson's look good. Flacco is the thing about Flacco and what everyone has been saying is this. He has looked a lot better in, in this offseason than he ever has before. He's finally healthy. Last couple of years, he's been dealing with, with injuries, rehabbing his ACL. Last year was the back injury. He's finally healthy. He's working with receivers. And the biggest headline, and I'm sure it's one that you'll probably jump for joy over there, is Joe Flacco finally announced that he's going to work out with his, off, his wide receivers in the offseason. I don't know why it took him this long. It's not really – to me, it's, I don't understand why it would ever be a question not to do that, but – he this this year something clicked and he's going to do it. So we're excited for that. We're excited to see how that chemistry can go, and I'm excited to see how this offense looks because, I mean, it's an entirely new group. You know, there's only two wide receivers that might be on the roster next year that were on last year. You you talked about the the two tight ends, Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst. I mean, there's a lot of changes to this Ravens offense, and for better or worse, well, that remains to be seen. You 
you're new to this show, but you understand the nuance of the segue. I love it. So you talked about the wide receiver. You talked about tight ends. It's really funny to me, I mean, as an outsider looking in and, and seeing the Ravens. I, I watch a lot of Ravens football, whether it's the two games against the Bengals every year or just in general, the, the two games against the Steelers, because that always piques an interest. And, you know, just in general, I watch the Ravens when they're on primetime and I, I root against them. Sorry, usually. Um, but it's kind of funny because Flacco has the big arm, right? And... And the Ravens have done what some think is a pretty good job. You know, they brought in Steve Smith. They brought in Torrey Smith. They brought in Mike Wallace. The big the big speedy guys that can go deep and all that kind of stuff um, eyes are, are essentially gone. And now what they've done is they've tried to become Flacco's best friend in creating these go despite going deep quite often. He does like to drop it down short to when Ray Rice was there. He liked to do that. Tight end moment, but the, the the guy who had a couple of groin injuries from BYU and and he was a good player and and he now is, is of years ago they drafted two tight ends in the first three rounds this year. So is this is this going to look like a different offense for the? The tight end that they have brought in, and maybe they see Flacco getting a little older. Maybe they're not maybe going so feast or famine on the outside. Let's let's kind of keep things in control, move the sticks type of thing. So I think that it depends on your definition of different, right? Because Joe Flacco's skill set hasn't, like I said before, hasn't changed. And he's always been a guy who's thrived on play action, needs, needs a good running game, and he's always been that gunslinger with the, and he a, a deep ball. He's very accurate with that. But last year we saw a different Joe Flacco. We saw a Joe Flacco that didn't want to extend plays. We saw a Joe Flacco that, that struggled with his accuracy in terms of the deep ball. We saw Flacco that went through one read and checked it down, and that was a big issue. So what the rate – and part of that was on the offensive line struggling a little bit. I know all the Bengals people definitely know about struggling offensive lines. Um, wide receivers – Certainly, we're struggling for separations. So there was a lot of there was a lot of different moving parts to it that I would say that definitely resulted in Flacco struggling. It wasn't just Flacco, but he does get the biggest share of that pie. But the thing is, is different would be, wouldn't be. I would say go back to that older style. And you were talking about Dennis Pitta. You were talking about that. And I would say this offense could have the looks to it of that 2011-2012 type team where they relied on two tight ends. It was Ed Dixon. It was Dennis Pitta. Uh, they had a couple wide receivers that could make plays, and they had a strong running game. With Alex Collins coming back, I fully expect him to – there's no reason why he he showed me that he's not going to have a bounce, another great season. I mean, he was phenomenal last year, and I always go back to that that fourth and two, I believe it was, in week 17 against the Bengals where it was – I think it was in the fourth quarter, and, and he made everybody miss. He had no sort of run blocking. And he just made everybody miss and ended up scoring the touchdown. I thought that was phenomenal. And that showcased what he can do. As for Joe Flacco and the offense in general, they have something different also this year. 
they brought in Willie Sneed, John Brown, and Michael Crabtree. All three of those guys are on short-term deals, but they're all, all of three different skill sets if you look at that. Crabtree's more of your kind of contested catch, not much of a separation guy, but he's a chain mover. You've got John Brown, who is just your speedster, can really take the top off of the defense. And you have Willie Sneed, who can kind of do both of those things, but he's a proven slot guy. He was phenomenal in the slot in 2016, just struggled a little bit in 2017 with the suspension. Then he had a hamstring injury. So there's a lot of moving parts to the offense. And that's really the biggest question for me is, can they all get it together and get some chemistry? But in terms of looking different, I think it's going to be the same Ravens offense, maybe a little bit slightly more improved in terms of they're still going to rely on the running game. They're still going to run a lot of play action. It's just they're going to really rely on the tight ends more. And they brought in Hayden Hurst, who is a pass-catching tight end at first, and he's not really big of a red zone threat, or at least he wasn't in college. But Mark Andrews is that red zone threat. Mark Andrews, a lot of people have been comparing him to Pitta. And I see the comparison too, kind of slower, not very athletic guy, but – but the thing with Andrews that concerns me is, is I watched his tape a lot. And in 2015 and 2016, he was much faster than he was in 2017. I'm not sure what it was. It's just something on tape. But as long as he can keep making plays in the red zone, I think he'll be greatly utilizing this offense. And, you know, I'm going to throw one more name out there. And I, I know you guys probably love it. But uh, Brashad Perryman, a lot of people don't like him in Baltimore. Everyone thinks he's a bust. They keep doing that. But I think Brashad Perryman has a decent chance to make the roster because – I. He struggled with his hands. He struggled with separation, but he's a speedy freak who, who, if he can work on his route running and improve his hands, I believe he can make an impact for this team. Gosh, that's a, that's a guy that sticks in the craw of, of a lot of uh, I mean, I, I know there's a semi-popular Twitter follow. Uh, I think she's at Lindsay OK. Uh, um, she's pretty funny, uh, or she is a contributor to Ravens Wire. And God, if you hear her talk about Brashad Perryman, good Lord, you would think those two just to, are, are just bashing heads. But at any rate, I, 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 I understand what you're saying there. And, and there is a bit of a – I think it was a good and obvious. Ravens uh, flirted with Des Bryant a little bit. It's not, There were some rumors there. We'll get to that. Any Kazak Insider Bengals podcast. I'm talking with Logan Levy with Baltimore Beatdown. And what is the name of your podcast again, uh, Logan? Uh, Take it to the bank. And for Beatdown site. Take it to the bank. What is it? Take it to the bank. Like MT Bank. Take, Take it, it to the, the bank. Right. Take it to the bank. Right. So go check out their podcast. I believe Cincy Jungles Rebecca Toback was recently on their podcast to talk to, to, talk to them about. Bengals and be within it. So, um, you know, we we kind of talked. I guess real quick, is there a, get to run to a team and uh, get somewhere? Is there is there anything more? I mean, there was some real picking him to the Ravens initially. Then that kind of died down, and then there's maybe some other other rumors going around. Is is that still maybe a possibility? The Ravens being and and doing what they're doing is that um, is that something that they're thinking about? I actually I didn't I couldn't hear that because it cut out a little bit. But I will say this: I'm talking about Des Bryant. Des oh. Bryant is 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 he still an option for the Ravens 
going forward, you think, or is, or is that, is that kind of just, you know, they've got who they've got right now. They're going to work with who they have and, and going forward, that's, that's what they're doing. So Des Bryant denied them uh, NFL network and other guys were reporting that the Ravens offered him like two years, like seven mil or so, seven mil a year or something similar to that. And he denied them. He said, no. And, and personally, I don't blame Des Bryant for not wanting to come to Baltimore. And, and, with as bad as Flacco's played in the past couple of years with this team, in my opinion, not looking on the up and up, I don't blame Des Bryant for not wanting to come to Baltimore. But on the other hand, Des Bryant, you haven't got any other offers. Why wouldn't you take the offer? But that offer is off the table. The Ravens, in terms of cap space, they just can't afford them anymore if you really want to go from a cap standpoint. But even from like a numbers standpoint, they probably don't even have enough because they, they like the guys that they got right now in that room. The three free agent additions that I mentioned before with Willie Sneed, John Brown and Michael Crabtree, plus two guys they drafted, Jordan Lasley and Jaleel Scott. And then they also have Chris Moore coming back for another year. He's a special teams ace, but he does make an impact. And and Brashad Perriman's that seventh guy. So they they really don't have the, the numbers cap-wise or just from in terms of a roster standpoint. So I'd be shocked if, if he came to Baltimore. Again, talking to Logan Levy with Baltimore Beatdown and Take It to the Bank podcast. I uh, appreciate you joining us on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this program on cloud, YouTube, uh, cincyjungle.com, and you can get in touch with us on Twitter at BengalsOBI and via email the OBinsider at gmail.com. We're going to be taking some and we're going to have uh, Logan here for just a little bit longer. Appreciate the time, Logan. Um, one, of the, one of the things that, that – um, I think people are wondering, at least in our little Cincinnati Bengals bubble, uh, is, you know, the Bengals aren't getting a lot of respect this year, at least in terms of the national media, at least in terms of what they've done this offseason, whether it's the draft or the position. Some people, some people kind of think like, oh, it's just kind of them being cheap again. Um I notoriously ride the fence, um, but I, I kind of wonder what the outside perspective is, is looking into the line struggles of the Bengals. That has been an obvious struggle uh, for the team. They seem to have addressed two of their major positions on the offensive line uh, with Corey Glenn. You know, they get John Ross back, maybe Tyler Eifert. Who knows what's going on? But from a, somebody who covers the Ravens, someone who is probably a Ravens fan and has a, a personal eye on hearing what you heard from Rebecca Toback on your podcast, what, what are your thoughts on the Bengals this year? They've done this on what transpired in week 17 last year, which seemed, even from Bengals fans' perspective, very unlikely that that was going to happen. So I guess kind of timeline, where are you kind of seeing the Bengals at at this point? So that's, that's an interesting question. I just want to preface it by saying I'm not a Ravens fan. I'm not really a fan of any team. I try to stay objective in, ter in terms of how I view it and write uh, for different teams and different sources. But I will say that the Bengals, I thought, and I did my AFC North draft grades right after the draft, and the Bengals actually got my highest draft grade. I thought what they did in the draft 
was magical. Now, would I have traded that pick? Probably not. Uh, I'm talking about when they had number 12 it was, and they traded back. They got Cordy Glenn. I probably wouldn't have done that. But I did like what they did in terms of Billy Price, despite the injury at the combine, is an absolute study. He was the top center without a doubt. He's phenomenal. He's exactly what Cincinnati needs. The, the picks that I really love, though, were Malik Jefferson and Sam Hubbard. I think both of those guys are going to fit right mm -hmm. in that defense. But the, my favorite pick, and me and Rebecca talked about it on, on my show because we were talking about what our favorite pick was. And Jesse Bates, I think, was my favorite pick for the Bengals because not only was it great value, because I thought in all my mock drafts he was going late first and pretty much – and that was the consensus is he was going to go late first, early, early, early second, not where he went. But also – he fits Marvin Lewis's scheme just like a glove. It's, it's, per, it's a perfect fit, in my opinion. The Bengals need a guy just like him, kind of rangy safety, and I think he's going to do great things. But at Alden Tate in the seventh round, Alden Tate was one of, one of, my, one of my guys. You know, in every draft you have your guy, and, and you have your guys that you back, you bang on the table for, and you continue to argue. Alden Tate was my guy. Although he's slow and he's, he struggles to separate, he's kind of like Crabtree where he, his hands, he's got really big, nice, strong hands. He's able to use his size and his body control, to, to can, especially in the red zone. He's a red zone threat, and he's going to do big things for that receiving core, in my opinion. Rebecca shocked me and told me that he might not even make the roster. I don't know the ins and outs of the, the Cincinnati Bengals organization like her, but I will say this. If he doesn't make the roster, that's a, that's a huge surprise to me because Alden Tate, I think, can make an immediate value, immediate impact and contribution for the Bengals team. Maybe you guys can tell me I'm wrong about that, but – for me, I think there's a nice role for, for Alden Tate. The other thing, and this is something I talked about with Rebecca that I wanted to understand because I never understood this until I talked to Bengals insiders. Why is Marvin Lewis back? I mean, I, I don't want to get on this whole tangent and I don't want to like start a fight because I'm sure it's a hot topic with Bengals fans and everybody, but I would have just left, let him go. There was plenty of other great options out there uh, that you could have hired for free agents. I mean, I would have hired the Eagles offensive coordinator, DiFilippo. I would, have, I would have hired Frank Reich. I mean, there's so many other guys that I would have went for instead of Marvin Lewis because how many, what is it? Like I saw it today, 10,020 days since the Bengals won a playoff game. I mean, Marvin Lewis gives, it's kind of like the Ravens where you sit at this mediocre point and like, it's kind of scary because if you're mediocre, then some people will think, and this is the Ravens' biggest problem too, is they finish eight and eight, nine and seven. They're like, oh, we were one win away from the postseason. But the Ravens really weren't one win away from the postseason. They had, no one wants to talk about their poor schedule or anything like that. But back to the Bengals, I thought they should have just retooled because they have the pieces. I just don't understand why they're not more competitive. And the fact that they don't um, get more quarterbacks and give some competition to Andy Dalton is completely baffling to me. I would have taken, I would have taken one of those third round guys. Um, there were several times where I would have taken a quarterback if I were the Bengals, especially some of these in this class where there was a lot of them. And I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just me, but Andy Dalton really, for his job to be as secure as it is, doesn't make sense to me. Well, I, I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of preaching to the choir for the most part here, Logan. Um, and, and I, and, you know, you look at, you look at our live YouTube chat, uh, Dean Burke says, thank you, exclamation point. Mike Brown, meaning the owner of the Bengals, is the, is the answer to that question, the question of why, 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 why. And with, it's very interesting, and no, no offense to you, you've, you've, got a, you, you've got a younger look to you, so you may not remember the Marvel days when he was with about when he was there, the defense he built, all of that. But, uh, you know, I, it's, it's very interesting to see, hear 
hands on Marvin Lewis now that he's been in the division. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, this is a team that is not run like many other organizations. It's oriented. It's very uh, conservative. And I'm not talking politically. I'm talking, well, maybe a little bit politically, but for just have quote unquote business. And if you know anything about Mike Brown, the Bengals owner, and anything about the Brown family, they are difficult to deal with. And when they and they have had in their throughout the nineties and all that kind of stuff, they had a head coach. And when they have finally found some semblance of continuity, some semblance of productivity, which is Andy Dalton and Marvin Skinner. I think that that's why they have continued to hang their hat on those two, for better or for worse. I, now, I'm in Baltimore. I say, I, uh, just go ahead, go ahead. I'm in Baltimore. I understand continuity. I am because it's been told to me since I was ever even sort of watching the Ravens football. Where because think about it, the Ravens, they could have fired Harbaugh this year. They kept they keep all these offensive coordinators. Marty Morningweg, everyone thought he was on the hot seat. Mark Tressman before he got fired, it was all about continuity. And I and I understand the the idea, I guess, or the notion of continuity, where you want to keep the same group together because you don't want to end up. Let's be honest, you don't want to end up like the Browns, where you're constantly changing everything because that sets you back as a franchise. But the way that I look at it is there's a point in time where you have to just realize that it's not working. Like whatever we're doing, it's just not working. And, and the goal is, and I talk about this a lot on my podcast and people get mad at me when I say this, but the goal of the NFL, if you're an NFL owner, NFL team, NFL player, whatever, your goal is not to go eight and eight, nine and seven, 10 and six and sneak into the playoffs and lose in the first round, losing the second round. Your goal is to win the Super Bowl that year. Now I understand that everyone's new England, not everyone's Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, but you have to understand the NFL model, and we talk about that a lot on my show, is the NFL model is not set up for teams like Baltimore, and I guess Cincinnati can be lumped into this too, where they try to be competitive every single year. I know it sucks as a fan to watch a team that's, that's slipping or whatever, but the reality is is you have to take advantage of your window. And I point to Seattle. If you look at what's going on over there, they were, what, 9-7 and seven last year, and they fired both their – I think they fired both their coordinators – and they pretty much sold everything because they realized their windows, their windows pretty much over. And now they're going to retool and rebuild. That's what I would do if I were Cincinnati. And maybe I'm a little crazy on that end, but I'm all about changing it up at this point because 15, what was it, 15 years at this point, no playoff wins? Like, I, 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 that's unacceptable for my, in my opinion. Well, it's it's uh, it's it's about 18 years, 19 years since since the Bengals won a playoff game. But uh, um, yeah. It, it's been a long time. About eight and eight, nine and seven. The the Bengals had unfortunately become used to six. So when they see this, and when they're on the precipice of, and I, I'm not, I'm not making excuses. I'm not. Uh, that's not something I'm advocating for. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to give you an insight and our listeners an insight into Mike Brown's mind potentially. That when they're nine and seven, eight and eight, seven and nine, and they're knocking people off at the playoffs at the end of the year, and they're potentially in almost into the playoffs and all that, that to him is, hey, we're close. And uh, unfortunately for Mike Brown and for Bengals, well, for Bengals fans, close to Mike Brown is uh, what what does it? And I think because of 
the long time between you know Bengals wins in the postseason and Bengals the rare Bengals appearances in the postseason. Um, I think because of that, buy tickets and fans still will do that because when they see the team being competitive and getting close to getting to the playoffs, they will still still Mike Brown for doing the operating the way he does, and uh, that's for better or for worse. But that could be a podcast episode on its own. Mike. Tell us where, aside from Baltimore Beatdown, tell us where we can find your stuff, where we can find you on Twitter, and all of that good uh, uh, good stuff there. So I'm on Twitter at RealLoganLevy. Uh, just, uh, you can find my work at BaltimoreBeatdown.com. I'm doing something kind of cool now where I'm doing a Joe Flacco film piece. So I'm breaking down every single snap of his season, like, you, you, so if you're a Bengals fan, you'll probably like it because I'm about to release uh, in two days. I think the one, the Week 17 matchup against the Bengals is going to come out, so you you can see how bad how badly the Bengals rattled him because Marvin Lewis, for one reason or the other, knows how to rattle Joe Flacco. But uh, follow me on BaltimoreBeatdown.com. Uh, you can follow us on there at Be More Beatdown. But that's pretty much it. It's where you can find. I'm not I'm not that hard to find. Appreciate it. I appreciate you making the time, and I'm sorry I could not come on your show, but I'm glad Rebecca Toback did. Uh, I know you and I went back and forth a bit about going back and forth uh, going on your show. Again, I apologize about that, but I know you guys do good work over there. I know we'll be talking again. I would love to have you back on during the season to talk about, uh, you know, the matchups coming up and, and where both teams are at. And I appreciate the, the update on where the Ravens are at. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. That's Logan Logan Levy with uh, Baltimore Beatdown and Take It to the Bank podcast. We his time. Wait, I, I poor guy. I told him this, this. This is this is me to a T. Ten to fifteen minutes. I I only need you for ten to fifteen minutes, and of course, I, I take thirty minutes. But that's uh, uh, apologize if there's any audio issues. Again, I am not at my residence. Um, I am actually on a on a little bit of a vacation, yet I am still talking to you guys and still coming to you on the podcast. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we have someone who is in like Darth Maul, Darth Vader Red over there. Uh, Scott. Yes. Stolte, yes, I am here. My usual, and he, he, he's like, where? It looks like a freaking, how are you, my friend? Good. Actually, it's uh, Chinese. But if you're on vacation, can't, I, I can be on vacation. I'm in China this week. I don't know. Uh, something <laughs> in the closet. I'm like, I haven't worn this thing in forever. I need to, uh, you know, something different to wear. But yeah, after spending the last half hour deciding if I was going to go to Chick-fil-A and get a milkshake or come on the podcast, just kind of sitting here, I'm like, yeah, I might as well join. So well, here I am. I appreciate it. I know, uh, I know our schedules have been a little wacky. Uh, first of all, I appreciate all the live listeners uh, coming into this program because, uh, you know, last week we were like, yeah, we'll take the week off. And then this week, instead of our normal Wednesday evening uh, type of thing, I said, hey, let's do Thursday evening. And instead of 8.30, I did 8 p.m. Uh, so I did a little your flexibility, Scott. I know... Um, I have not been easy to deal with over the past couple of weeks, so I apologize, my friend. Well, as long as uh, 
Yeah, I was okay. going to say, there was something I was going to say there about you admitting you weren't being easy. I'm thinking your wife could probably, you know, I'm sure you're, you're trying to be nice. Are you trying to be nice? Up and <laughs> well, all right. Let's, 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 uh, before you, you throw me under the bus too much, let's move on. Oh, Bengals minicamp. There's a lot of, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try and get through some of this stuff pretty quickly here. Um, I guess one of the things that I wanted to start with, uh, kind of based on quickly, Tyler Croft and Tyler Eifert are, have been resting, particularly Tyler, Tyler Eifert. Um, I mean, he worked out in the voluntary mini camps, and then now he's not working out, and Marvin Lewis doesn't know his status and all that kind of stuff. What do you think of this, or is this just Marvin Lewis is frustrated and the Bengals are just essentially taking it really slow? I mean, yeah, at this point, I mean, there's, I mean, anyone who's a Bengals fan who's followed them since he was drafted in what, 2012 or whenever it was, it's, I mean, you just, or maybe it's 13, whenever, whatever year they drafted him. I mean, that's just him. I mean, he's just constantly hurt when they, Resigned him. We kind of knew, yeah, he's going to be hurt at some point. You kind of hope it wouldn't be before the season begins. And I think you just kind of get used to it because you just kind of know that's that's the deal with him. The although I totally understand if it's something where they're trying to be precautionary because you know this guy has a very sh limited shelf life. I mean, he's only going to be good for so many snaps this year, just because yeah, you know, his history kind of shows that. So you would definitely prefer those be in the regular season. So if they were to say we're just going to keep this guy pretty much out of every training camp, out of every preseason game, out of everything, except for like the bare minimum, just so he doesn't come in a week one and look like, uh, you know, someone's very rusty. I have no problem with that. Cause he's, he's kind of shown what he can do. He's not a rookie. He's an experienced guy. You know, he is going to get hurt. So let's, uh, you know, get as many minutes as we can out of him on the field. So I'm hoping it's precautionary, but if he does have another injury where it's actually a legit injury that's keeping him out, then yeah, it's it's frustrating, but it's Eifert. Yeah, I, I kind of think of it as, you know, like I said, I, I, I think it's a little bit of Lewis frustration slash unknown slash precautionary with him. You know, I think there are so many t times where you know, either the Bengals have rushed back guys or whatever the case may be, and it hasn't worked out. Everett uh, has had some had some pretty significant offseason procedures back, you know, me, all that kind of stuff. Maybe they're, they're just playing it safe and Marvin's kind of in cheek, you know, kind of thing. I think it's a little bit of both. I, I don't think Marvin knows exactly what's what the timetable is for Tyler Eifert, but I, I also think that the team is like, dude, just hang out. I mean, just, just so much time recently. Just we don't need you. We don't need you. You know, getting hurt in this in this useless stuff. Another headline, Scott, is in these uh, mandatory mini camps. Um, is is Cordy Glenn talking about the Bengals offensive line, the offense in general, and he likes what he sees. Um, 
you know, they've been mixing it up a bit on the offensive line, trying to figure out the best formula. Uh, Cordy Glenn, and you can find this article on cincyjungle.com. It's quote, it's fast. We've got some explosive weapons. We've, we've got a different variety of schemes. We've got different ways to attack a defense with number 28, Joe Mixon and number 25. It's nice. So is this just, and I think, I think we can in general kind of write it off as such in terms of player speak and positive this time of year. But do you think that Glenn truly sees something here that really inspires him and inspires hope and should inspire hope for the Bengals fans in this offense that has been struggling the past couple of years? I think it's probably several things. I mean, first off, he's been in Buffalo his whole career. So he uh, has had Tyrod Taylor, uh, you know, Nathan Peterman, and some, he hasn't exactly had, not that Dalton's elite, but you know, he hasn't had elite quarterbacks. He's had a, LaShawn McCoy, who's a very good running back, but hasn't really had like a good second running back or a guy to pair with him. Uh, receiver until they traded for Kelvin Benjamin's been kind of sketchy, especially because Sammy Watkins was always hurt. So I, I, I can, I mean, the Bengals do have a good set of skill position guys when Eifert's healthy and Bernard and Mixon are both good running backs. Obviously have AJ Green, you know, John Ross, if he's healthy, could possibly be decent. So, you know, I, I can see him coming in and looking at this thinking, wow, like this looks like a very, you know, nice set of offensive weapons that this team has to work with. This is pretty exciting. They have a, you know, quarterback who can throw and doesn't just run. We have a, you know, a healthy wide receiver is pretty, you know, pretty awesome. And they have a second running back who's pretty. So on the one hand, it's, uh, of course, it's the time of year and everyone looks good. I'm sure you go to every camp and pretty much, you know, the Lions, the Browns, the Dolphins, anyone is like, yeah, like we're looking good because you are looking good. You're playing yourself. You're not, well, you're not really playing anybody. Playoffs. <laughs> so, and it means it's another thing, you know, come September. But, you know, you kind of hope that in June you, you think your team looks good. If your team doesn't look good in June, you know you have some problems. The other part of this and the part I like the most is the Frank Pollock effect, the idea that we're not just kind of saying we're just sticking with what we have on the offensive line. We're just kind of staying put. But we saw, you know, after, you know, several big changes, obviously Paul Alexander's gone. Russell Bodine is no longer the center. They, tra- you know, traded and got Billy Price in the draft. And then Abwehi, they traded as part of that trade for the number 121 pick. They got Cordy Glenn. So Abwehi's no. So you see, not only are we, you know, changing things with the line coach, but the line coach is doing all the things I think fans want to see him do. He's not just saying, yep. That's our guy. We're just going to throw Trey Hopkins out there because he was a starter last year. We're just going to throw a butt on out there because he was a starter. But he legitimately seems like a guy who is coming in this fresh. He's like, I've got 10 players or whatever. I'm looking at everyone. I'm looking at Perkins. I'm looking at Redmond. I'm looking at Westerman. I'm looking at Fisher. I'm looking at Boehe. I'm looking at you know everybody I have. I'm going to throw them out there, mix and match them, see what we have. We know what Paul Alexander saw. <laughs> Most fans would probably say he doesn't always see the best thing. Uh, and they would, you know, give countless examples of that. But I like the fact that he is doing what uh, I think, you know, fans have been clamoring for for years of give these guys a chance, you know, figure out who the best five guys are and find a way to get them on the field. So it looks like he's doing that. And you, I think at this point we have to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume he's going to pick the correct five, but it's awesome to see that that is the, the route he's going down, that he – is genuinely willing to say, 
we're going to figure out who these best five guys are and figure out where they go. And, you know, you for an offense that struggled and was ham, hamstringed so much by the offensive line issues, it's very refreshing to see, hey, we have these great skill players, and we might actually have a chance to get them the ball. We might actually have a chance to, you know, hand the ball off to Joe Mixon and not have a defensive lineman on him, you know, four yards in the backfield. So it's, I mean, it's early. It's not, you know, we're not in training camp yet, but it's a very exciting, you know, breath of fresh air. I think that the fans want, and for not being able to get rid of Lewis, I think this is the next best thing is at least let's, let's give us a glimmer of hope that we are fixing some of the issues. Yeah. And uh, again, Logan, Logan Levy, uh, program from Baltimore beat down. And I asked him a little bit about what Ravens fans are looking at with the outlook of the Cincinnati Bengals. And he mentioned Billy Price specifically as a guy that he really liked. And then, you know, you talk, another headline, Billy Price is lifting, according to his own words, 305 pounds on the bench press. So he should be cleared in the next week or so for full contact and all that stuff, which is good news. You got Cordy Glenn. And, yes, I understand the mixing up talking about Scott on the offensive line, but obviously I mean, you've got from left tackle to center established, especially if price is healthy. Uh, so been getting in work at right tackle and they're, they're doing Redmond and West Westerman and all those guys at, at, at right guard. So they're figuring They're trying to figure out the formula and Frank Pollock is trying to figure out the formula, which is, great to see and i and i like that and like you said um it obviously you know breeds competition breeds the best possible uh scenario for the team especially on one of their weakest areas um so uh, you know that's good news uh we'll get to some other it's not news and notes, but it is a topic in itself in just a second. But I do want to talk about briefly, real briefly, the Logan Woodside DUI. Um, I don't I don't want to get into a lot of details on this, but I actually was informed about this via emails and offline stuff by a number of different people. I thought it was very interesting. Um Uh, I, I just think stuff I've seen and heard without going, going into, into much detail has been very uh, um, now it's a seventh round pick. It's a guy who is a fringe roster player, maybe a guy who could be the backup quarterback and blah, 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 blah. But I guess my question to you, Scott is, you know, He's, he's kind of a local area guy, so to speak, with you. Talent plus this issue plus Matt Barkley and Jeff Driscoll on the roster equals what? That is a good question. I mean, for some teams, I think it would be automatic dismissal for him, given that this is the team that has given Adam Jones you know, a million free passes, has obviously – not shied away from guys who have had some issues off the field. I don't think this is something where the Bengals are going to say, you know, you got this. We're just totally cutting, you know, cutting bait. We're just going to send you on your way. Thank you. You know, and that's that. I, 
don't see that happening. I think they are going to bring him to training camp. I think most fans sure hope that Barkley does not become the backup. <laughs> so that means you either have to hope that Driscoll, you know, in a, you know, this year, his third year on the team, that he has taken that step. I mean, he has all the the tools to be a great quarterback, whereas uh, Barkley and uh, Woodside are more like you're. They're more like a Dalton, like a Dalton Light. They're your game managing guys. You look at their size, their production at college. You know the the kind of their scouting reports. They're all kind of that similar. You know, short, intermediate, fairly decent quarterback. Driscoll was a total opposite. The very raw, very high potential, great speed, big arm. Ed this year, you know, if Driscoll's that guy, then it really doesn't matter because they'll let Barkley probably dump him on the practice squad. Or sorry, Woodside on the practice squad, and Barkley would be gone. If Driscoll hasn't taken that step. And you sure, you know, hope that Barkley isn't your backup. His history is obviously not the greatest as far as production goes. He's a very high interception. Uh, he's, he's not an option you want back there. That you, in one hand, they're kind of, they're going to be counting on Woodside to be that guy. And so I can't see them letting Woodside go, not only because they like to give guys second and third chances, but because they're going to be pretty desperate at that spot. If, I mean, if they're stuck relying on Barkley, if, if Driscoll hasn't taken that step and finally shown he can be a backup quarterback, and if you think you're good enough that you don't want to be sunk by Barkley as your starter, if anything, it should happen to Dalton. Uh, not not that Woodside could step in and be a starter. Uh, and you know, kind of same with Adam Jones. When he got arrested a couple years ago, I think most people are like, yeah, he's out the door. There's no way this team's keeping him. He has such a you know, checkered pass. He's clearly gone. And of course they kept him and part of the reason was they needed a, you know, court. They needed, they wanted someone to play cornerback and opposite Drake or Patrick, he was the guy they wanted to be the starter. And so that kind of, that need kind of facilitated, yeah, we're going to keep this guy on the roster. And I, I could see that kind of happening with Woodside. I'd be very surprised if the Bengals did anything disciplinary. And I think the one thing that, you know, kind of gives them maybe something of a pass from maybe the, the media or, from outside critique is that Woodside is a guy who doesn't really have a pass. He's not like one of these troubled kids that fell to the seventh round that was a big talent. They had a lot of issues. And so, Hey, we draft him. And as soon as we draft him, he goes and does something stupid. And that's just him being him. We better get rid of him. Instead, it just seemed, and yeah, I mean, obviously we weren't there. We don't know what led to this, but it seems like just a fluke kind of a, you know, 22 year old kid kind of, you know, being irresponsible, doing something dumb, and obviously he's going to have to pay whatever the legal consequences are. Uh, but I, I think at this point it doesn't affect his roster status at all. Do you agree? Disagree? Am I crazy? Uh, maybe all of the above. It looks like you are. It looks like Anthony is on mute, or I think his um, signal or something kind of got scrambled. I think he's, uh, as you mentioned, he is on uh, hotel Wi-Fi, which I guess can be very sketchy. And I can see a beautiful picture of him if you can. I don't know how well you can see him if you are on our YouTube video, but okay, now he's totally gone. So, okay, so much for that. <laughs> so we are down to a single person uh, right now. And of course, uh, I joined after Anthony posted all the topics for today. So, oh, are you back? I believe so. I don't know what happened. Okay. Um, yeah, you totally cut yeah, off. Okay. And I was about to wing it by just starting. I, was, I thought I might just start chanting the rosary or something. I wasn't sure what I was going to do and the, until you came back. But glad you're back. 
hotel Wi-Fi. Hotel Wi-Fi, my friend. I, I apologize. That so, is fine. Um, I, I, I did catch pretty much everything you said about Logan Woodside and his situation, and I, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think the Bengals are going to kick him to the curb right now, but I do think that this is definitely something that is not in his. Okay, we lost Anthony again, I think, for another second. Uh, I think it's the, yeah, that good old, we've, um, we're very good at blaming that hotel for their Wi-Fi. They, uh, they must have too many people at the hotel listening to the podcast while Anthony's podcasting, and that's probably slowing us down. Uh, I think what Anthony was trying to say was that the Scott guy isn't totally crazy, and maybe what he's saying makes some sense. And I'd see if you looked at the... Uh, if you get a chance to look at some of the stuff we had in the YouTube chat, I don't think folks are very high on Barkley. And I think his record, you know, his, uh, his stats kind of show that if you look at him historically, he just has not been a great NFL quarterback. And I think that's, he was kind of a stopgap. You look at when he was signed, they, the Bengals, you know, a lot of people didn't know what they were going to do in the draft. If they were going to get a quarterback, if they weren't, who they were targeting. Some people think they were targeting, uh, you the kid Mason Rudolph from Oklahoma state who went to the Steelers. And there was some, you know, chatting about that. Hey, did they steal? They, they traded up. Did they steal him from the Bengals? Is that who the Bengals? Were? And you never really know who you're going to get in the draft or who's going to fall to you. So you always want to have some sort of backup plan. And yeah, it's clear that the Bengals did. They drafted Barkley. Cause I mean, they thought they were going to have McCarron. They lost McCarron obviously when he went to Buffalo and he was granted the, uh, that, extra year of service for his first year when he didn't play that counted as one of his four years in his rookie contract. So he became a free agent. He signed with the bills. So when they lost him, you, you have to have someone and essentially all teams do that. They try to get at least the bare minimum every spot. So when you enter the draft, you aren't, you know, stuck where you're, you feel like you have to draft for need. And that being the case, they signed Barkley. I don't think the intention was, to draft Barkley and say, yep, this is our backup because he's that great. I think it's more of a, hey, we signed Barkley because we need a warm body in the backup spot. Driscoll is, you know, injured. He he got hurt last year, near the end of last year, playing wide receiver in practice. And so with his wrist injury, you didn't know how he was going to recover. And with McCarron out the door, you had to have somebody that somebody was Barkley. I, I think the assumption probably among most Bengals fans is, okay, you drafted Woodside. So now it's probably a two-man race heading into training camp with Woodside and Driscoll and then Barkley is kind of the odd man out, but you know, he at least he gets a paycheck for, you know, a few weeks and the Bengals have some security, not knowing who would follow them. And then they would get Woodside in the seventh round. So I think the idea was, okay, now we have Woodside. We'll let him and Driscoll duke it out. And I think it, it, that, I mean, that in itself, I think is going to be a very interesting camp battle because you have two totally different guys. You have the guy Woodside, you know, the very, you know, established quarterback from the Mac played a very solid game manager's price. He was a very you know, solid game manager kind of guy. He's a guy who can throw the ball. He's not going to wow you, but very consistent. Uh, then you have the Driscoll totally, you know, other on the spectrum guy who was much higher, high up to big recruit for Florida, then went to Louisiana tech and then he got drafted, got cut and then with the Bengals and the Bengals have kept him for a couple of years. Cause they've seen something in him. 
keeping him on the 53-man roster. So you you kind of have, okay, what's going to happen? This guy who has all the hype and all the tools, is he finally going to put it together? Or, you know, kind of the guy who's kind of been the underdog, the guy from Frankfurt, Kentucky, you know, Woodside that had to go the route of the Mac and didn't get the invite to the big schools like University of Florida. And, you know, they're going to battle out on training camp. And it'll, it's, it's going to be very exciting to see which one of those two emerges as that backup. So I think we have Anthony back. Yeah, in case you're wondering if Scott has back pain tomorrow, it's because he is carrying the immense responsibility on this sh- uh, of the show on his back because decision to try and do this show remotely from a different area than I usually do. And uh, it has not paid off in spades, so I apologize for some audio issues and if they have been in and out of the program, but I appreciate you talking about that. And I, I did catch the tail end there. Uh, there's a lot to talk about with Woodside in the quarterback position. I've got two more things I want to talk about, one of which is a listener question, Scott. But what I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted from weird scramblies of uh, internet capability – uh, this is the Orange and Black ins- Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can join, or you can join us every week, every episode on YouTube and uh, via Cincy Jungle. We're also available for download on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, and you can get in touch with the program on Twitter at Bengals OBI via email at theobinsider at gmail.com. We appreciate the support, and uh, you know. We're coming to you during summer, so uh, be grateful. I'm kidding. <laughs> We're grateful that you are listening, but appreciate it. Appreciate Scott, and like I said earlier, Logan Logan Levy was with Bo, uh, Baltimore Beatdown and joined us. Baltimore Beatdown is part of the SB Nation Network and joined us to talk about the Ravens and all of that, so go check out Baltimore Beatdown and all of the stuff Logan Levy is doing with that. So quickly, Scott. The Bengals are flirting with Carlos Dunlap and giving him a contract extension. I think most people will say, yeah, deserved. I think obviously with Geno Atkins, yeah, deserved. I guess the questions I want to ask you is, number one, if you kind of had to choose one or the other, who would it be and why? And number two, uh, I mean, these guys are both right around 30. I think Geno Atkins just turned 30. Dunlap is about 29, going to turn 30. Is these guys, and yeah, you want to get another couple of productive years out of them, and yes, especially Atkins had a very productive year in 2017, but might might this be more of a pay for previous performance? What's ahead? I'd say if, I'd I, say if, I, if, I, could if I could pick one. Well, if I could pick one, the first answer I want to give is, uh, you know, that little gal from the taco shell commercials. Why not both? You know, Dunlap and uh, Atkins. That being said, if I had to pick one, I'd pick Atkins. Nothing. I mean, I think Dunlap's a great player. If they get him, that's awesome. The reason I'd pick Atkins is twofold. One, he is an all pro. He is a lead at his position. He, I mean, Dunlap is very good at what he does. Atkins is awesome at what he does. It'd be like uh, if you're a Reds fan, Joey Votto or – I don't know, another Eugenio Suarez, if anyone knows who that is. But obviously the one guy is, you know, elite 
And the other thing, not only is he elite, is you know, is Atkins, you know, one of the top two or three, three technique defensive tackles in the NFL with uh, you know, Aaron Donald obviously is probably the other really big one. And then you can argue maybe Endemic Sue or Gerald McCoy or someone might be there, you know, is that third one or whatever. But the other reason why I'd go with Atkins if I had to pick one is if you look at who the Bengals have behind them as far as depth, they don't really have anyone who can do anything near what Atkins can do. You have Billings, who's much more of the big, strong run stuffer, stuffer still really raw. Uh, you have Chris Baker, who signed to a one-year deal, who looked pretty good in Washington his last year, didn't look so good last year. You really don't know what you're getting with him. Glasgow is kind of a, you know, he's a solid rotational guy. He's probably not ever going to be an elite guy or great, but he's, you know, he's a nice solid piece. But if you were to tell me, Hey, we're losing Atkins and we have to roll with a guy who's unproven and you know, Billings, a guy who has maybe a limited upside in Glasgow and then Baker who you have no idea you're getting there. That's not very exciting. If you lose Dunlap, you still have, you know, guys like uh, Lawson who, was amazing last year in limited snaps as a pass rusher. You still have this, you know, Hubbard, Sam Hubbard, who they just drafted this year in the draft. They have Willis, who they drafted last year in the draft. You also have Michael Johnson, who's a decent player, a good run edge defender. And so you have some pieces there you can play with defensive end. Defensive tackle, not so much. So I'd say of the of the two, I would definitely, you know, be in the Atkins camp for those reasons. That being said, you know, like the girl says in the commercial, if you can, why not both? And even if they do sign Dunlap, I'm sure they will find a way to get the air guys in there. That, that means they would probably uh, get Willis and Hubbard are probably going to be pushing Johnson out. Uh, and then you probably have uh, Lawson for a second year being limited in his snaps as more of the situational edge rusher guy, not getting the run snaps. And the interesting thing, if you look at that, if they sign Dunlap, and if that keeps those younger guys from getting more time on the field, on the defensive, their defensive snap counts. That's well. The reason it's interesting is that the Bengals did the exact same thing to Dunlap when he was a rookie, his second year. He was clearly outplaying Robert Gathers at left defensive end, but he was getting very little playing time because they had this proven veteran. And even though Dunlap is much better now than Gathers was then, because Gathers was the veteran his first couple of years, Dunlap just didn't get the playing time. And it'd be interesting now that you know to see. The, the roles reversed where Dunlap would be the guy that's getting signed that's keeping the younger guys from getting their playing time. Anyway, sorry, that was a long answer, but okay. I'm, you I'm very worried. And, and God, bless, God, God bless you, Scott. You knocked, you, you killed two birds with one stone because part of uh, one of our listener questions was about that from Dean Burke and it talked to Jordan Willis, Carl Lawson effect on, you know, to, you know, Dunlap going forward and all that stuff. I think everything, and I don't mean to be exaggeratory when I say it, I think everything that the Bengals do on defense revolves around Geno Atkins and what he can do in the and the fact that he is essentially the within the top three interior defensive linemen, uh, depending on how you want one, but Geno Atkins is probably in the conversation for number two, if not number three, you know, maybe number four, but I, I think that's not doing him justice. I think he, but my, my point is, and the reason I wanted to bring this up is just father time. And, you know, 
had a pretty had a great year in 2015 had a pretty good year in 2016 okay year in 2017 mostly towards the end of the year really a non-factor towards the beginning of the still i think he had nine sacks in 2017 so still productive but do you pay these guys at 30 and above for you know through contract all that kind of stuff and then you go forward and you go okay are we just really paying for past production or we, what are we doing? So, um, you know, that, that, that I worry about, but I think um, that's something that, that should be noted going forward. One quick listener question before we get out of here, Scott. Um, the, it is from Carlos Andre, usual, usual listener. Um, he had actually asked a question a, a couple of weeks back um, talking about Alex Erickson. I don't know if we ever got to this. I don't think we did because he, he retweeted us about it. Basically, his chances on making the roster. Are you impressed with, with what he did as a wide receiver? Uh, he, hit the, he hit us up on Twitter, uh, at Bengals OBI, about it. Um, do you think he could steal a fifth or sixth wide receiver spot? I don't think so. I think the Bengals have now... I think they'll like what they see out of Alden Tate. I think they will, you know, John Ross is now taking a spot this year that was not available essentially last year. So he might be the odd man out, especially if they could find someone to return kicks, whether that's Mark Walton, whether that's John Ross, whether that's whoever. Um, but I think he's an odd man thing. Sorry, I had to unmute. Uh yeah, I'd, I'd say the odds of him making the spot are definitely going to be tied to his special teams duties and how well some of these other guys that they have brought in either, you know, someone like Ross was supposed to be a good returner. Uh, you know, they have a lot of guys who can return. It's just a question of who they're going to use. If they, I think if Erickson can win the return battle, I think they bring him back. I don't think he's going to win it just on his receiving ability. I think, you know, he, interestingly, if you look at the stats, uh, just because, yeah, it's something it's interesting to see. And I think not everyone realizes this. The receiver who had the highest percentage of targets caught last year was Alec Erickson, who sorry, caught 12 to six or yeah, 12 to 16 passes for, for 75%. Uh, actually, I guess Joe Mixon was the highest, but he was as far as uh, receivers go, he was the the highest. And of course, on the other extreme, you had Josh Malone, who caught something like six or 17 for like 30% or 35%. So he definitely caught the ball thrown to him. And you had a 15 yard average. So it's not like he was catching little three yard passes. But uh, I think part of his playing time is going to be I mean, he's probably not going to be an outside guy. He's probably going to be for the same kind of spot where I think Tyler Boyd is going to win as far as like that slot role, you know, where you have a uh, Ross or LaFell and then Green on the outside and then, you know, someone like Boyd in the middle. And so I, and then you know the guys that drafted, you mentioned the, you know, Tate and, you know, they, I just would have a hard time seeing Erickson make it strictly as a, you know, you won the spot as a receiver. I think it's more realistic to say, just like he did his rookie year. I mean, his rookie year, he wasn't supposed to make the roster. He was an undrafted free agent. He was someone that, I mean, even on, you know, Cincy Jungle and, uh, you know, when you, when he was uh, when he was signed, there were various posts and various polls. You know, which of these guys has the most best chance to make the roster and so forth. He was nowhere on those lists. I mean, 
you know, free agent. You know, Erickson was very low on that list. Even among the receivers, he was uh, maybe like the third or fourth or fifth, you know, most favored guy as far as his odds. But once he got into preseason and he had a few really nice returns, if you recall, I think it was a punt return. He had a really long punt return, maybe a kick return, where he was he turned some heads. And people like, wow, this guy, you know, after uh, years of uh, – Brandon Tate not doing what he replicate, not replicating what he did in New England. Here, this guy all of a sudden is like, wow, this guy's really doing something back there. And he kind of won, uh, you know, that receiver spot over all those other undrafted guys that we were higher on because of what he did in preseason. And that's kind of been what's kept him on the roster. So I, but when you're a special teams guy, you've got to prove it every year. And that's the thing with him is if he can hold off whoever they are going to put up against him then I think he makes a roster, but I think he's got to do it on special teams. I don't think he's going to do it based on his role as a receiver. I, I, I see where you're coming from, but every year it seems, or every other year, that the Bengals roster receiver, who, and by the way, if you remember anything from the Hard Knocks episodes of 2009 and 2012, um, maybe 13. Was it 13? 2013? I, I don't know. I, I'm so old. I can't remember. But um, Lewis in both of those stints basically had told players that they are going to make the team not necessarily in practice, but in, in the priest. And if you remember back, you can go all the way back to Tom Nelson and Quan Cosby in, in the Battle of 2009. Uh, both of those guys were guys that, you know, whatever, but they made insane special teams contributions in 2009 in the preseason. You can go to Dane Sonsenbaka, uh, uh, loved, who did some stuff as a receiver and as kind of a return guy. Then you can go to Alex Erickson, who did, again, both a couple of years ago. And the Bengals said, you know, this guy, Marvin, value special teams contributions and guys who can multifaceted guys who can do things. And Erickson was one of those guys. Unfortunately, after a pretty solid rookie year, he kind of fell off a bit last year and was a guy where you go, I mean, yeah, I guess he had the occasional play here and there. Yes. He had a couple of nice plays as a receiver, but the Bengals now as I mentioned, Malone now in his second year. They have John Ross now in his second year. Alden Tate is a guy that's very interesting. Um, you know, Mark Walton is a guy who could return kicks, test him out on that. Well, you know, there's just I, – I don't know how much room there is for a guy like Alex Erickson, specifically if he's going to be only returning kicks. So that's kind of my take. Very interesting question from Carlos Andre and very interesting uh, – Again, uh, from Dean about the uh, the defensive lineman. Um, I got another comment here, real quick, before we get out of here, Scott. About that, essentially, um, it, it was. Gosh, who was that? Marion um, saying, "Anthony, we need to pay these guys past thirty years old." Example, Andrew Whit. Right. I mean, is that a valid example? Yeah. I mean, well, it depends on who the guy is. I mean, there's there's some people, and I think that's and, and, and it's, he it's done less than 
all three important positions. So it's kind of like, okay. And I think that's what you expect your, you know, player personnel guys to do is to evaluate these guys and project based on, you know, we've seen this guy's whole career. We see how, how he's arcing, you know, what he looks like in practice, what he looks like in the weight room. We, you know, based on all this, you hope they're doing, you know, some sort of pro projection that, Hey, we think, you know, Dunlap or Whitworth or whoever, you know, when, based on how he's trending up or down or whatever, when he hits this age, that's when we think he's not going to provide any value. And you saw they've done that, you know, fairly well. There have been some guys uh, like Jonathan Finene. A lot of people were upset when they let him go. And even like Rudy Johnson, we, he left and went to uh, Detroit when Finene went to the Patriots. And uh, you saw when Pecco went to – you know, a lot of these people, the Bengals do have, have generally – now, the Whitworth is clearly the one exception. They've generally done a really good job of, of kind of noticing that, hey, we think this guy's at the point. He's been a solid guy, a role player, a good player, and a starter, a guy we like. But we see that, yeah, he's about ready to drop, and we're going to you know walk away from this before his play goes downhill. And, they've, and you saw with all those people, once they left Cincinnati, once they got to wherever, and they just – they failed to produce and you know, the Bengals were able to get it correct. So you have to hope, you know, that if they're signing Dunlap, that they see that, yeah, we still see two, three, whatever more productive years in this guy. And then we see that drop. So I think like anything you, you are kind of hoping or assuming that they are uh, using whatever analytics or whatever to project when this guy is going to be good or bad and then project from there and, Sign them accordingly. Well, put Scott, thanks for the questions, everybody. Appreciate it. And thank you with Baltimore Beatdown and Take It to the Bank podcast about the Baltimore Ravens. Um, we're, we're glad we got a little bit of an update there and appreciate all of the live listeners. If you were unable to join us live, you can get this podcast on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, and on CincyJungle.com. Uh, you can also get the podcast and or get in touch with us via YouTube, uh, or excuse me, via Twitter at BanglesOBI and via email gmail.com. Scott, thanks so much for joining me. Any final thoughts before we get out of here, my friend? Uh, yeah, just have a uh, have a great flag day and enjoy your vacation. Okay. They, you heard it from you heard it from my friend first. So Anthony Kazenza, thanks so much for tuning in. Appreciate you taking time out of your week to join us and to uh, download the program. Have a great day. All right, buddy. I Hello. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 